name is Juanita Headley. I am a Newark attorney and the founder and CEO of Changing Cases. You are listening to a set of podcasts, a series dealing with the issues of human trafficking, child abuse, and of course. Can you keep a secret? Keep a, keep a secret. Knowing how to respond to the question. Over the following weeks and months, I'm going to take a look at some hard-hitting topics with a view to educate, empower, and inspire you to change the way that you think, act, and respond to better safeguard the children in your world. Stay tuned until the end of this show, where I'll be sharing not only how you can get a copy of my new book, but I'll also inform you of some upcoming live Zoom trainings and how you can contact me to have your questions featured in a future episode of this show. So we can talk about it. Yeah, we can talk about it. Yeah. So we can talk about it. Talk about it. Yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah. Let's talk about the case of Sealed Defendant One. I was doing a Google research a few days ago and I came across this case. Now, according to the information I have, on February 22nd, 2013, DHS agents executed a warrant to search this individual's apartment for child pornography. Now, in 2016, it seems as though Seal Defendant 1 had appealed. Now, from having a look at the case, Seal Defendant 1 was appealing his guideline sentence of 84 months imprisonment after pleading guilty to an information charging him with one count of possession of child pornography. Seal Defendant 1 contends that the district court erred by applying in its calculation of the guidelines range a five-level enhancement for distribution of child pornography for the receipt or expectation of receipt of a thing of value based on sealed defendant one's use of a peer-to-peer file sharing system to exchange pornography. Now having read this entire document that was available online, it became quite clear that despite him receiving an 84-month imprisonment sentence, he served just under half. In fact, he is serving 40 months in incarceration for this offense which he pled guilty to. In reading about this case and the appeal, information was given and it makes me think about something I heard recently from an individual who is doing prison ministry in the state of New York. And they told me that every person who commits a crime was first the victim of a crime. And when he said that, I had never considered it in that way, but it makes me think about Brian Stevenson and how he says, you are more than the worst thing you have done. For me, I believe the past does not dictate the future and you are not defined by the crimes you have committed or have been alleged to have committed. I believe in a God of second chances. However, I believe even as a Christian, I'm few and far between because the vast majority of individuals often are unwilling to extend grace in certain instances. In fact, I recently finished reading a book, The Sun Does Shine by Anthony Ray Hinton, 
who spent 30 years on death row for a crime he didn't commit. He had a rock-solid alibi. He was at work in a secure location, having to check in frequently, but still served 30 years in a prison in Alabama. He had committed no crime. He was innocent. But whilst he was there on death row, he built relationships with some of the other men, one of whom was a white man, a child of the KKK. His mother and father were in the KKK and they raised him to have this hatred towards people of color. And so on one occasion, when he's on his way home, he lynches a teenager who's approximately 13 years of age. Despite the color of his skin, meaning that the accused was white, he was on death row and he was executed. There was also a woman on death row, sorry, a man on death row. He had murdered and raped his niece. And then there was another man on death row for robbing and shooting an elderly lady. Now, in the book, The Sun Does Shine by Anthony Ray Hinton, he actually makes reference to the fact that when his mother passed away whilst he was incarcerated and he cried and cried for the loss, that these very same men that had committed what would be deemed as heinous crimes gave him things from the commissary, coffee, candy, snacks. They gave him things. They consoled him. And he saw these individuals exactly as I see them, human beings. And when I read the book and I finished the book a few days ago, I cried tears of joy. I knew that he was out of prison, currently working with Brian Stevenson at Equal Justice Initiative. But I was just overjoyed. I didn't know how the story would end aside from him being released from prison. But I was overjoyed and even more so because it was the first book I'd read by an inmate who was a Christian. For about three years, he lost his faith, came back to God, and the miracles happened. Brian Stevenson was his attorney for almost 15 years trying to get him off death row. And Brian Stevenson has worked with countless individuals, some who are guilty of the crime and some who are not. But as Brian Stevenson says, it's all about justice and mercy. Of course, punishment is something that we have to accept is part and parcel of life consequences for our actions but the punishment should be just it is not about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth because this white man has lynched a child he too should take, have his life taken and even when we think about this particular case the one that i'm referring to with sealed defendant one i believe that he had brilliant representation i say that because in this document it details a lot of background information about what led him into this position of watching child pornography and then distributing. It says that he pled guilty to this one count of possession. And it shares that DHS was investigating peer-to-peer -peer file sharing services. And this allows users to download files stored on other users' computer via the internet. On November 15, 2012, an undercover agent contacted the sealed defendant one through the file sharing network Giga Tribe and requested access to the files stored on his computer. Sealed defendant one provided the password, which was FUN, F-U-N, and the agent downloaded six videos from his computer that contained child pornography. The undercover officer used software to determine the IP address, which was then used to identify his residence. Then, on the 22nd of February, a warrant was executed, 
and the agent seized sealed defendant one's computer, which contained 208 still images of child pornography and approximately 79 videos. It goes on to say that these images and videos included graphic depictions of adult men engaging in oral and anal intercourse with prepubescent boys. Forensic analysis of his computer also established he had shared his password approximately 221 times with approximately 174 different users. In many cases, the sealed defendant one shared his password with others in exchange for their passwords. It then goes on to depict a conversation that takes place and sealed defendant one says that he has an interest in teen boys. And the user responds and I believe is declaring that he has imagery of children ages 3 to 15, boys and boys, men and boys, and boys and girls. Often I think those of us who are bystanders, who are on the outside, who do not understand about the lure, the addiction of pornography and how one's past and childhood trauma can on occasion lead them down this destructive pathway, many times we will, as humans, judge. This was a young male who was well-educated, ambitious, had his whole life ahead of him, and unfortunately made choices that resulted in 40 months of incarceration. It also goes on to say that the pre-sentence report prepared by the probation officer determined that the guidelines range to be 97 months to 120 months imprisonment. It also says that the following sentencing enhancements two-level increase because the possession of pornography involved a prepubescent minor or a minor who had not attained the age of 12 years two-level increase because the offense involved distribution other than distribution described in subsections A through E. A four-level increase because sealed defendant one possessed pornography that involved material that portrays sadistic or masochistic conduct or other depictions of violence. A two-level increase because the offence involved the use of a computer or an interactive computer service. A five-level increase because the offence involved 600 or more imageries. The total offence level of 30, together with sealed defendant one's criminal history, resulted in a guidelines range of 97 months to 121 months. The probation office found that the guidelines counseled a term of imprisonment of 97 to 120 months. Now, when we think about the fact that there are these guidelines that are specifying 97 to 120 months, and he was only given 40 months, that speaks volumes. When we have a look at his upbringing, the information that is shared here is that his start in life was very difficult. 
from information that I have read, his mother had a difficult birth and she instilled in her son the value that there is a plan and a purpose for your life. You could have died on your way into the sword, but you're here and that there is a calling on your life. There's a purpose as to why you survived. His father, unfortunately, was physically abusive to his mother and would take Seal Defendant 1 from approximately the age of five to Brussels strip clubs and sex shops. Although Seal Defendant 1's mother left his father when he was five, the son continued to see his father after the divorce. Now, this typically occurred when his father was with women or consuming alcohol. Then, unfortunately, when Seal Defendant 1 was seven, he was sexually molested by a 15-year-old male babysitter. These experiences, according to the document here, led him to be focused on and engaged in sexual behavior from an extremely early age, which continued through his high school and college. After finishing law school, he was depressed and began to use GigaTribe to view a broad range of pornography, bestility, which is sex with humans and animals, group sex, and child pornography. On this basis, Seal Defendant One psychiatric expert concluded his interest in child pornography was not a product of a real predilection for minors, but was born out of his own experience with childhood sexual behavior and presents an unresolved psychological matter that can be addressed through psychotherapy. So what that means is that this expert is saying through healing of counseling and therapy, specifically psychotherapy, Seal Defendant One will be able to move away from having this desire towards consuming child pornography. It also says that despite his troubled, specifically sexually troubled background, he was very successful. After high school, he graduated as a valedictorian. He then attended Harvard Law School, where he graduated in 2010 as a class marshal. However, he was unable to find a legal job after graduating and became severely depressed, seeking treatment at a hospital where he was diagnosed with depression, bipolar disorder with manic depression, schizophrenia, and was described serical for insomnia. He did eventually find a job as an adjunct professor, I hope I pronounced that right, adjunct professor of criminal justice, and he worked from early 2011 until late 2013. He then began work as a substitute adjunct professor at a college. This job continued until his sentencing. Now, from what I can see here, it says that there was skepticism towards the conclusion of the psychiatric expert that he was not sexually attracted to minors and should not be diagnosed with pedophilia. The recommendation also demonstrated the serious concerns about his risk to reoffend and ability to be safely managed in the community. However, it says here that the sentencing submissions on December 5th submitted a letter that requested a sentence of three years probation. It argued that his unusual promise 
and success, especially in light of his childhood. The traumatic sexual history that he had suggested he did not pose a danger to the community. And in addition to that, his abstention from viewing child pornography after his computer was seized in February 2013. It therefore goes on to say he is an excellent candidate for supervision, treatment and rehabilitation. Now, having done some more research about Seal Defendant One, I have read that he is indeed a born-again Christian. He spent 40 months in prison. He was released. And from what I have read, by the grace of God, he has been able to turn his life around. Of course, when one thinks about his past, it raises a lot of questions. There are a lot of concerns. However, what we have to realize and appreciate is that we have all fallen short of the glory of God and every one of us has an innate sinful desire within us. Every one of us makes mistakes. There are some that are criminal in nature and others that are not. Now, the thing is, a lot of times when we hear about somebody where information is given through the media, through news articles, or even through reading a court case online, we can be very quick to judge. And I think that's where we have a problem. We need to understand that because of our innate sinful nature, even though the Spirit of God may live and dwell with us, the flesh is weak, the Spirit is willing. And so because of trauma that is unresolved, we may end up engaging in things that we should not. Does that make us a bad person? I don't think so. Because what I think about this particular case with Seal Defendant 1 is that there are so many people in the world, males as well as females, who consume child pornography. But maybe they're not doing file sharing. Maybe they simply have a video or they have some imagery, almost like a Playboy magazine children's version. In other words, that they're less likely to be detected. When you're file sharing, you're at risk of being detected. However, the good thing about when you're detected is that you will no longer engage in this sinful lifestyle and behavior. On occasion, that's for a season. 40 months in prison, come out and go back to that lifestyle. But other people, they are transformed when they go into prison. They come out a better human being. Other people go into prison and their life is saved if they had not had that encounter behind prison walls and met the Lord Jesus as a Lord and personal Savior. They would have died on the streets because of the criminal activity that they engage in. And so I think it's so important for us to set aside and not focus on what we see with our natural eyes. Because as someone shared with me very recently, we all sin. There are those of us who sin in secret. And what I mean is sin in secret is things that people do not see. It could be that you're a bit deceitful. You lie. It could be that you take things that are not yours. And when I say secret sins, it means that you're very good at doing it that no one is able to detect. It's like there are different sides to you. Then, then there are others whose sins are more overt. If you have anger, we're going to witness that. If you gossip or slander, we're going to witness that. If you go out and attack, rob, or rape a person, and that person is able to identify you or there's CCTV or DNA evidence, your sin has been revealed. But the fact is, every one of us has fallen short. And we know, as it says in the word of God, what is done in the dark will come out in the light. 
can we sit and sympathize with seal defendant one who began as a victim of domestic violence, witnessing his father abusing his mother violently. Then he was exposed at a very young age to strip clubs, to sex. He was given an introduction into something that he should not have known about in such a young age. And I would simply say that is abuse. Sexual abuse does not have to be where you are physically touched. There are different types of sexual abuse. It could be that you are physically touched. It could be over your clothing, under your clothing. It could be sexual advances with words. It could be seeing an image, a photograph, a video. That is abuse. It doesn't have to be rape or sexual assault. And often the grooming stage involves non-sexual touching. Not always the touch. Not always the case, but many a time the grooming doesn't start with touching. It's a very gradual process, showing pornographic videos, sexual remarks, and then it moves on. I don't believe Seal Defendant One's father had any intention or malice or any desire to abuse his child. I don't believe so. I think it was just a matter of inconvenience or convenience. I'm going to a strip club. He's a boy, I'm going to take him with me without considering the effects it had on his development. The fact that it gave him this desire and whilst he was in childhood, as is said in this document, he engaged sexually with others. And then as he got older, he developed this interest in pornography, bestility, masochism, boy on boy interaction, male on boy interactions. What does that say to us? Let's not forget that he was sexually abused by a male babysitter when he was seven. This individual has been through a lot of traumatic experiences. I think none of us can understand what it's like to be exposed in such a way. For me, I myself was exposed to pornography by my stepfather. I was approximately 15 years old. I understood what it was. I had no interest in it. I have developed to such a maturity that it wasn't something that I had any curiosity about or was uncertain about, wanted to explore. I was repulsed by it. Everyone reacts and responds differently. And so I think it's important for us to have a spirit and a heart of compassion because the reality is, which is what I try to get people to understand, is that any person, any person can end up behind prison bars, any person can engage in criminal activity, including criminal sexual activity. A person doesn't set out to commit a crime unless they maybe have a mental deficit. Your average person does not set out to commit a crime. Seal Defendant One passed the bar successfully, became a lawyer, became depressed, and that led to this downfall. But the way that I see it, he served the time, justice was served in the eyes of the law, 40 months in prison. He's come out a transformed person. He's lost his license. I don't think someone who went to Harvard, studied, excelled academically year after year after year, becomes a qualified lawyer, desires to lose their license because of a sexual interest with males. I don't think so. I believe that this person wants to pursue a legal career, desires to have a good income, to have all the financial freedoms that come about when you have a good paying lawyer's job. However, there is this part of him that he hadn't fully surrendered to God, the trauma he'd been through. It hadn't been dealt with. But the good news is that the psychotherapist actually said, the expert psychotherapist said 
this person should not be labeled as a pedophile. For me, I strongly don't believe in using labels. When I present, I may use the label rapist, murderer, pedophile just for ease, but I see each individual as a human being, a human being with a tendency to rape, a human being with a tendency to murder, or a human being with a tendency to watch child pornographic videos. However, that tendency can be pruned, can be taken away. We know that we can overcome by the blood and the lamb and the word of our testimony. Every one of us can testify about the goodness of God when we have a personal relationship with him. He's a God who can heal. He's a God who can turn our lives around 180 degrees. That addiction to drugs, to sex, to alcohol, to pornography, the Lord can take that away from us if we surrender it. It may not be overnight, but over time, that healing process is available. And it may sometimes require us to engage in therapy or counseling, but that doesn't mean to say that his power isn't strong enough to give you the instant healing. He is a God who is faithful. He is a God who provides our needs. And he knows what our needs are. Our needs as Christians are to live righteously, to live holy. But we are not robots. We have free will. And unfortunately, sometimes our free will gets us into predicaments like this. The Bible says what's done in the dark will come out in the light. Light shines into these dark places, but God is light and God is love. The Lord sees your defendant one as a person. It's probably difficult for us to get our heads around the fact that this crime was committed, especially by somebody who was aspiring for greater heights. But that pull kept bringing him back, kept bringing him back. However, when someone who has lived a life like this is transformed, has served the time, justice has been served in this case, when they are truly transformed, we outsiders can see the power of God that is more than able to heal, more than able to restore, more than able to take away that sinful part of that person. And if the Lord can take away this sinful desire of seal defendant one, what more can he do with us? Nothing is impossible for him. And so we need to focus on that instead of name calling and judging. Because the reality is there are people that we come into contact with on a daily basis who commit sins that are criminal in nature. But because they've not been caught and because they've never been caught, we will never know. There are people who have sexually abused another, whether that's a male or a female, whether that's an assault of an adult or a child. The fact is there are people who have committed such crimes and that victim survivor never spoke up about it, never declared I was abused by him or her. And so that person gets away scot-free. We know that vengeance belongs to God, but in the world, punishment was never served. And I'm saying that to say, Instead of judging seal defendant one, take a step back and consider that man or woman in my life, that friend or family member, that co-worker, that colleague, that deacon or elder could also be a seal defendant one who has not been caught. But remember, God sees everything. Not everything is going to be revealed in the public domain, but it will come to light. At the end of the day, it is for us to be a support system to people who are weak. Every one of us struggles in different areas, but we need to encourage and build one another up. 
It is not about endorsing sinful behavior. It is about supporting a person into a godly lifestyle, into righteousness, into holiness. We know that we will be sanctified by the blood of the Lamb. We will be restored and brought back to Christ. And so we have an opportunity on earth to make things right with God. So instead of judging, let's be prayerful. Let's be loving. Let's consider the fact that the people in our world, at least one of them is a seal defendant one. We don't know which one it is, but even so, we still love them. Would our feelings change when we know what they've got up to in their private life, in their personal time? Would we judge and condemn them? Would we forget the relationship we built with them before? All those years, weeks, or months you've spent with that person building friendship, relationship, does that all mean nothing when you find out the crime they've committed? Every one of us has some skeleton in the back of our closet. And there are opportunities where we're able to speak up and to confess that one to another and get it off our chest and walk with our head high and know that that is in the past. There are other times where this is a baggage that we hold on to. We're ashamed. There is guilt. All of these emotions. But we know that God came for every single human being, just like when he was on the cross. He was on the cross of Calvary. The guy right beside him gave his life to Christ. And the Lord said, you'll be with me in paradise tomorrow. So remember, give people the benefit of the doubt. Support people out of their sin. Judge less. Look around you and love the people in your life. Understand that every one of us has fallen short of the glory in God. And don't forget... Every person who commits a crime has most likely been a victim of a crime at some point in their life. So let's become more like Christ, less judgmental, more compassionate, and love these people out of darkness into God's marvelous light. Thank you for listening to another episode of Can You Keep a Secret? I trust that the information has been useful to you. I believe that we all need knowledge and education, and when we have a better understanding of topics such as abuse, it enables us to better safeguard the children in our world. For a better understanding of the topics being covered each week, then please reach out to me for a copy of my new book, Can You Keep a Secret? You can follow me, message or email me so that I can answer your questions in upcoming episodes. We can all learn from one another, and this is an educational series that I hope will impact and change not just your life, but also that of the people around you. You can find all my contact details on my website, changingcases.org. That's changingcases.org. Remember to share this podcast with friends and family members. There are victims and survivors in your world. You just don't know it. But if we can all be educated, then the world will be a safer place. Please tune in next week for another episode.